Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 38, Disintermediation, is the first of three episodes on the Zeitgeist Church operates in. Okay, disintermediation is probably the ugliest word to appear on Church Ahead so far, but I think it's worth learning. Let me show you the kind of intermediation this movement wants to dis. I invite myself into your home as a communication expert. It's early on a Saturday evening and you're all chomping away on a pizza, chatting away about the cat, the weather and the war in Ukraine. And having got my feet under your table, I say, you people don't think talking to each other like that is proper conversation, do you? Well, I don't. And now I'm here, things are going to be different round here. You might be used to talking to each other directly, but from now on, all conversation in this family comes through me. If you want to say something to your sibling or spouse or parent, then you say it to me and I'll pass it on for you. All communication's got to come through me, and that's how we can make sure it's done properly. I don't think that would go down well in very many homes. Even the most uncommunicative monosyllabic teenager would say, we've been talking to each other for all of our lives. Why do we need you? The grown-ups would probably use words like intrusion or imposition. You'd wonder why I'm trying to mediate something that already happens perfectly natural on its own. What I'm offering is intermediation, and your pushback is disintermediation. And that's exactly what some people feel the rise of formal institutional religion over the past 10,000 years has done. Many pagans think that Christianity tried to take over and institutionalise the ancient natural religions of these islands, organising, taking over and charging for what people are perfectly capable of doing for themselves. Now this was an attack on the church's mediating role from the outside, but it's often questioned from the inside. What do you think the Reformation was? For centuries, Christians trusted their church for reliable knowledge and access to God. Why? Because the church said so, and that was good enough for most Christians. But then Martin Luther and the Reformers came along and said, don't take it on trust from the church. Read the Bible for yourself and trust what you find for yourself. Church was relegated as the big intermediating institution. Perhaps we can get through to God without this intermediary now. And so the Christian religion has been through quite a big round of disintermediation 500 years ago. And in my opinion, it's going through another round of disintermediation today as the role of the intermediary shrinks once again. This ugly seven-syllable word, disintermediation, just means getting rid of the middleman. And before we look at getting rid of intermediation in the church, let's consider what's happening with our money. What is money? That's one of the first principles questions economists love to ask. It was hard enough to say what money was when most people thought of it as notes and coins. 
Why did the children of my generation accept pocket money paid in the form of a silver-coloured disc called a tenpence piece, but not any old chunk of metal? Because this was minted by the Royal Mint, and the ten-pound note you might get at Christmas had on it a promise from the Bank of England to pay the bearer. We accepted this as money because we trusted the institution behind it. And I suppose that's why economists trying to give this very basic explanation of money always compare it to religion. They point out that when we use money, we exercise faith. Now, for cutting-edge techies in the crypto finance world, that's all ancient history. Money guaranteed by an institution is what they call fiat money. And what they want to know is why do we need this institution? Most financial transactions merely alter ledgers on the computers of banks. So why not cut out the middleman? Distributed ledger technology allows one person to send money to another without the need for a bank or any other institution, either affecting the transaction or standing over it to guarantee fair play. If my computer says I've sent you ten pounds, and your computer says you've received ten pounds, what more do we need? Why complicate things with a middleman? Why do this? Blockchain peer-to-peer -peer technology is cumbersome and often very wasteful of energy. In June 2022, the Financial Times said all this waste is because people don't trust banks. I think there's a deeper cultural change going on than that. People don't like institutions get in the way where they think they're not strictly necessary, and they take a lot of pleasure in cutting out the middleman. Listen to the way these crypto believers talk. You'd think they were developing the most exciting and liberating breakthrough in human civilization, like fire or printing. It's not just a practical thing. They really get excited about cutting out the middleman of fiat currency. So what about fiat religion? Well, we've been through one round of disintermediation at the Reformation and I suspect we're in the middle of another. Imagine the privilege of baptising your own child in your local church. That joy was mine just once in 2004. It's the only baptism of my own child I've ever done, and so it meant a lot to me. A lot of thought went into curating the service, which took place at the parish church at the end of our street. It was a private afternoon event, so we had quite a lot of freedom to do it our way. And one of the things that mattered to me was the provenance of the water. I didn't want tap water provided by my local water company. I resented the fact that they've taken possession of something that falls from the sky and instinctively feels to me as though it should be free. I don't like the idea of a big private company capturing all the water and then selling it to me at a profit. So my little act of rebellion was to use water for the baptism that fell on our garage roof and was siphoned into our water butt. Somehow it felt to me symbolically purer. I wanted to get round the mediation of a water company, down with the middleman. When I was a curate in the Wirral, my next door neighbour stopped me in the street with an intriguing request. 
She'd lost her husband to cancer a few months before, and what she wanted from me was help in burying her husband's ashes in their family grave in our church graveyard, but she didn't want to go through the church, and in particular, she didn't want to pay the church £25 fee. Money may have been tight, but this was about something more than money, I think. She wanted the facilities and services of our institution, but she didn't want them through the institution. I suspect we're going to see more of this sentiment in the future. During my lifetime, there's been a transition from most people thinking that if you want the best start in life for your baby, a decent wedding or a proper send-off, you go to the church to a world where fewer people think they need the church for these things. That's amongst the general public. And within church life, I think we see a similar trend. People who find the preacher or choir or rave up of their choice online. Suppose it's often a sort of half-hearted disintermediation. They're still using the church in the widest sense, but they don't think they're going through the institution. There's a growing desire to find God without dealing with the institution. Of course, it's not completely rational or even fair. Religious institutions do a lot of good things. But when do you ever hear the phrase institutional religion used in a positive way? Let's look at a couple of successful movements in church today and ask the question, are they institutional? Greenbelt is a broadly Christian arts festival drawing crowds of 20,000-ish every August bank holiday weekend. Seminars, workshops, performances, all sorts of weird and wonderful events are the highlight of many people's religious year. Some church people see it as their top-up. Some greenbelters are beyond church. Most of their regulars probably have some sort of relationship with church. But is Greenbelt a church? That, I think, is a good question for another day. What we want to know today is whether Greenbelt is an institution. It has a fixed date in the calendar. It hires premises and charges entrance tickets. It's overseen by trustees and presumably there's some sort of organising committee and some sort of editorial process by why, which they say yes to this speaker and no to that act. So for me, Greenbelt is an institution, but they hide it rather well. They make it feel like you're going to a pop festival camping alongside lots of lovely people for a good time with some good purpose. Let's look at the Alpha course. They make it feel like you're going to a pop-up supper party, eating yummy food and chatting about life with people who care what you think and want to get to know you. What's not to like about that? But of course it's an institution. The programme is fixed in concrete, if not stone. There are budgets with staff and the right beliefs. Some people think that this has morphed into what is effectively a Christian denomination in its own right but their genius is in preventing it from feeling like an institution. They make it feel like you're discovering Christianity through some new friends, not being told what to do by an institution. But what about the Roman Catholic Church? Surely the biggest, most successful church in the world is very much an institution. Yes and no. It's very much in the business of fiat religion, 
guaranteeing your access to God when you use its services. But is the Pope a Catholic? Yes, he is. But is the Pope a Pope? Not really by the standards of 19th century Catholicism, which claimed infallibility for the Pope. Why do you think Pope Francis refused to live in the Pope papal apartments? Why did Pope Benedict retire? Because he recognised that he is a frail human being, not just an institution. Many of the most thriving national churches are in those parts of the world where the institution is less in control and they do their own thing a bit more. Where the institutional grip is strongest, as in Europe, the decline is worst. When I look back on the various middlemen who I've gone through for different things in life, some of them have been really good, earned their transaction fee and added value above their cost. Others might have exploited me. Not very often have I felt exploited by church. By and large, I value church's service. But I fear that, like all other middlemen, it will be increasingly under pressure to pull off the almost impossible balancing act of providing the excellence of a well-run institution without feeling like an institution. And there's more. How far will all this go? I think it's going to go much further. Alpha and Greenbelt are riding this wave quite skillfully for the time being. But I sense the tectonic plates are moving more deeply. The question is not whether the church is a good institution or a bad institution. The key thing is not how well the church disguises the reality of institution. We're moving into a world where people just don't want mediated religion. For Christians like me who rather like the institution, this is quite frightening. But for perhaps mystics and charismatics, the next stage may be more fertile ground. If God is nearer than my breath, then I don't need any institution to take me to him. I think for many people who are open to God, church feels like an intrusion into something natural and simple, and they don't feel the need for any kind of mediator. Okay, disintermediation is an ugly word, but I think it gives us a clue where the next step on the road will take us. Thank you for listening to episode 38. Please join me next time for the second of our Zietgeist series, Generation Playlist. <laughs>